Online shopping is pretty much the only shopping that's happening right now but if you need to send or return something click and post from on post means that you can calculate pay and print your own postage online all you have to do is attach the label to your parcel and drop it to your local post office easy find out more at onpost.com forward slash click and post there's another little thing to be thankful for blackout eye masks particularly the ones that you can flap your eyelashes in mm-hmm cutting up banana skins to feed them to my plants and my Tibetan singing bowl yes she's called Margaret and she's pitch perfect there are a million things that I'm thankful for today but what is my guest thankful for when I noticed my recovery started speeding up when it happened quicker than I thought was as soon as I went goodbye guilt goodbye shame Welcome to Thanks A Million, I'm Angela Scanlon and this is the show that takes a sneaky look at my guests' gratitude list to find out the things that have shaped their lives. This week I'm chatting to an old pal of mine. It's poet, illustrator and author Laura Dockrell. On paper, Laura's life would seem pretty perfect. A remarkable career, showbiz friends like Adele and Kate Nash and a beautiful family. But Laura's life was turned upside down when she started showing symptoms of postpartum psychosis after the birth of her son. By the way, this episode contains chat that some listeners will want to know about in advance and may find distressing or triggering. So check out the show notes for all of the details below before you dive in. Before we get into Laura, let's get to you. I've been loving your gratitude lists this week. Here are some of my highlights. I haven't been great myself now at them this week. Just been one of those weeks. Anyway, Tory Tours. One, my cats finally being able to be in the same room without falling out. Two, my husband making me lunch and silently delivering it during my lockdown work online meeting. That's a sentence. Three, Merlot. Nice. Sam Honor, one, painting with my daughter and her friend online for homeschooling. Two, overdosed on Boris. Huh? That's not a good thing, love. Three, watching Killing Eve. Love it. That is a good thing. Swanee 95, morning online Pilates bar class with my friends through Zoom. How will I ever go back to not having this in my daily life? I do love it. It's also good because your friends kind of force you to go along. I mean, I say that I haven't done any collective. I've done a bit of kundalini yoga, but like I've been flying solo. I have sent the link around to friends, but nobody's showed up. My husband secretly ordered me some new gorgeous giraffe pyjamas. Such a lucky girl. That's Swanee, not me. My husband didn't order me anything. Three, getting to spend my working day around the dining table with my children. Thanks for that one, Swanee. This one's from Shar Turnip. Nice name. One, the big jiffy bag stuffed with Barry's tea bags that arrived for my mum this morning. Yum. Two, not having to rush out every evening of the week now to some after school club or other. Now, I have not got to that point as yet, but I'm slightly dreading it. Although dread feels like too strong a word. But I do think I can hear my mum saying, I'm like a bloody taxi for the lot of you. Here, there and everywhere. Up the road and down the road and over the road and back the road. Like a bloody taxi service I am. So maybe I'm a, I've a bit of work to do <laughs> on that. Three, the sourdough bread that my husband has taken to making. But Jesus, the cut of the kitchen after him. Oh, I hear you, turnip. Bernie Lally. Getting around. Oh, sorry, Bernie Fitzpatrick. One, getting around to painting my daughter's bedroom while listening to great podcasts. Had the paint left over. Economical, Bernie. 
I like it. Two, Ashling B talking on your podcast. I'm getting a crystal after this. Oh, hon, I'm surrounded by crystals at the moment. I, I go to sleep with them on my back. I lie them on my throat. I put them on my third eye. <laughs> I stuff them down my knickers. No, I don't. I was going to say stuff them then my bra. You know, when I have one on, I will tuck a little pink amethyst in there. Uh, if you're looking for crystals, I have a friend who's a dealer. <laughs> she's on Instagram and crystals is her tag. And actually she's got fab ones and she can basically tune into you from afar and send you the ones that you need. It's fabulous. By the way, keep them coming. Yeah. Thanks a million trio. Either respond to mine or, you know, break loose and do them yourself. I'll find them either way. Not in a sinister way, but you know what I mean. Anyway, I think I've been going for a little longer than anticipated. Here's the show. So what, Laura, are you then grateful for today? I'm grateful for loads of things today. You know, when this first happened, I was like, this is unbelievable with a toddler, because especially what I experienced two years ago was the bite without no feet, like it was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. And I, and anyone I'm sure who's had a rough couple of years coming up with this on the back of something is just like, oh my God. And at first I was like, can I actually manage this? Because I've just um, settled, stabilised. Um, I don't mind discussing these things, but you know, I'm off all my medication and everything. So it's been like a great sort of time for me. And then this has been my biggest challenge since childbirth. And then suddenly I've realised actually having the toddler around has been incredible for me he can tear the fun out of anything and um will just never fail to keep us busy Mm. practical keep routine like just so much to kind of live for and be grateful for yeah and um and I think if if we're able to sort of see our kids as that as that blessing that's actually going to help us get through it rather than I mean rather than having to school them and teach them and all the rest of it so I'm grateful for for him and yeah I've just had some coffee this morning and I half tasted it so it's a big day it's a good day so (laughs) let's let's go back to two years ago I always think of you because you sent me that amazing voicemail do you know I always know I listened to it this morning Oh, God. Yeah. I remember I just imagined you as this kind of, you know, such a vibrant force and this rainbow, like, unicorn type. And that's what I said. And and then the, the darkness and the depths that you felt made me just really, I really, really related to, not in, to the same degree, but I think it hit me at a time when I felt extremely fragile and I thought, fuck. And I think of you the same. I really do. I think of you as someone that's always like colourful and vibrant, electric. And um, yeah, that means a lot. Um, so yeah, so two years ago, I I basically was in the happiest time of my life. You know, I'd um, got with my dream person that I'd been in love with since I was 13 years old. And we finally sorted it out and got together and um, had a dream pregnancy. And then two weeks overdue, had a traumatic labour. But again, I mean, it's like, when you speak to any woman, even if her labour, you know, is vaginal and healthy and I'm using um, speech marks, but normal, um, you still can feel traumatised by it. It's not a normal day at the office. And I think the partner feels like that too. It's scary and um, nothing prepares you. All the books you read, you still, you know, nothing does. I didn't really have much expectation. So I kind of thought I was in the best possible position and yet still this happened to me. So following straight after we had a... Um, uh, yeah very traumatic delivery and then we had to spend um, 
five days on the ward because my son, even though I was two weeks overdue, he came out absolutely tiny. He had starved in my womb. My placenta had failed and the cord was wrapped around his neck twice and he was facing the wrong way. So when he came out, which was delivered by emergency caesarean in the end after all the other attempts of failed labour, um, he he was really stressed. Um, there was meconium on the bedding and everything. So, and he just wanted to feed for twenty four hours straight. And it just felt like this sick joke of nature that I had this like hungriest baby ever. And then, um, I my boobs just couldn't make the milk quick enough. You know, with an emergency cesarean as well. There's usually a bit delay. of a lag, a delay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, it takes a while for the milk to come in anyway. But um, then I was just kept on this ward where I know that they're doing the absolute best. Of course they are. But both jet and I were kept there for different reasons so we had to wait till we were both discharged till we could leave but if you've ever been in one of these wards I mean the temperature is ferociously hot and it's you're shared in a shared space with lots of other people which for me I would never normally mind that I can chat like you I'll chat to anybody but you're not in that you'll feel like you're in a wake or something everyone is going through their own sort of private um, emotions what deep trying to understand fathom what torture they've just been through then this kind of carousel of hell of different babies waking up at different times waking up different parents um it's just as living torture I got this rare side effect of the epidural which brought out scratchiness like itchiness so I was like itching like I had hives I was itching to the point of bleeding um still in pain from my cesarean and then just feeding non-stop at one point I caught a glimpse of my birthing notes and I'd fed for nearly well basically 18 hours with a, basically 24 hours straight wow, of feeding wow. um, and so you said that that when he came out he was like angry and hungry and you kind oh, of sensed that like a sense that he was just like get me sort me out absolutely and already I felt like I would, I, I, not to be dramatic, but I felt, already felt like a failure. I was mm. like, um, there's such a thing on this, um, you know, people always say to you in the build-up, like they're perfectly well-intentioned people, but yeah. they're like, are you going to do a natural birth? Are you going to breastfeed? Are you going to... And it's like nice, but it's like if you feel like you don't do that, you already feel a bit like you've kind of failed in the athletics. Completely. Of, childbirth and yeah, you get your bronze medal and then you're sort of sitting there and then when you've got a baby that to know... I kind of thought, I mean, I was showing small. I kept saying that to my midwife, to everybody there. Don't worry, don't worry. But, you know, when I kind of thought I was growing this prized pumpkin that was going to like come out and he'd just be cool and chill. And he was like, it was a life or death situation. He was literally looking at me like an animal trying to survive. It was like an animal, that a a bird that had fallen out of the nest on the floor, you know, kind of going, this, I haven't got long here sort of thing. And that responsibility, that ask when you've never been in that environment before was just overwhelming. And then in the ward, it's not their fault, but the change of hands is so quick with the midwives. One midwife will tell and tell you to do one thing, then another one will thrash the curtain up and contradict that same midwife. And it is a crash course in a way you feel like you're meeting all these women from all these backgrounds and that's quite um, enriching but also it's terrifying because you don't know who to listen to it's overwhelming you're not allowed your baby to fall asleep on your chest you have to put them um, you're not allowed them to fall asleep on the boob you have to put them down and swaddle them in the basin like as soon as you've fed them and they just don't sleep and then you're aware that other women are in the same room as you you don't want to wake up other people you just don't want to be a nuisance and then I guess home sort of became this like paradise Walt Disney castle that I was looking to like when I get home everything's gonna be okay but everything was not okay and really quickly within well I just knew straight away I was just like my 
my flat, which I, I didn't realise I would... Because we went to the hospital, I need to get a pessary, a hormone um, in, induced. So I thought it would be something I'd come home for. My house felt like a kind of... The only way I can describe it is like a sort of unwanted holiday home. I sort of came back and I was like, it feels so cold and unused and distant. I, it, and it wasn't the flat, it was me, I was different. And I just said to Hugo straight away, something's not right. I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't feel normal. And he was like, yeah, we've had a scare, that's okay, like it's normal. And I, it was like that Sunday night before school feeling, times a million when you were a kid. London's burning on, heartbeats is on and you're like, I feel so scared about tomorrow. But just ramped up. Up. and um doom basically dread and then um and then I was like I, I just and then I I declined very quickly from there and and did you think you know oh this is just the baby blues this is just a hormone crash this is all normal I just need to ride it out totally and yeah. that's as I said at the beginning, you know, you ask your mum, you ask the professionals, your friends, your family. I was gathering any number from mm-hmm. any, which is, I'm not surprised why you reached out to me even in that moment, because you do, you sort of, any person that you've had any conversation with that's had a baby, you feel like they're in that club and they can understand you. So I reached out to any woman I knew with a baby, get numbers of friends. And I was like, is this normal? I can't sleep. I feel severely anxious. I've got a pressing on my chest. I can't eat. I've got no appetite. I'm crying all the time. And they'd all go, yeah, like obviously um exactly they'd be like it will all be a blur don't worry it will go past it will get better just hold on one day the one one friend said one day you'll just put your baby in the buggy and be like okay I've got this so I was like right I can ride this out and I kind of lost all instinct and faith and trust in myself like I have I broke my wrist when I was a kid and I didn't realize for like three days I'm not a you know not that that matters but I I'm a resilient I know I am but I did I forgot all of that I was just like I'm dying right now of um and then just looking in the mirror being like I'm actually going mad like before myself and I don't know how and then the problem with when you start go, when you when you actually do start going mad I'm using these words mad because that's my vocabulary to describe this to you um <clears throat> I'm not doing it any disservice because trust me I know but um I was just like when you start telling somebody that you're mad you know you say to someone I actually am mad all those things you what is counts as a hearing a voice or what counts as all these things it's like you say it to somebody and they're like oh no I actually am saying those things like what you see in the movies and I am feeling that and um so yeah very quickly within um was it was actually a whole total of three weeks before I was hospitalized from when Jet was born but it was so it began with kind of um kind of yeah, I guess anxiety, doom, dread, um, no appetite, and then unable to sleep. So when Jet was even sleeping, I was unable to sleep. Racing thoughts, um, conspiracies just started coming in. So then I started thinking that the radio was. It didn't. I say it doesn't get. Didn't get that bad because I've now met many other women that have had what the illness that I had, and it's been a whole lot more terrifying. But um, just the beginning of those feelings creeping in. Um, and then like, everyone on the TV seemed to be called Laura. Um, everyone on the radio seemed to be called Laura. Somebody bought us a massive teddy bear. I started thinking the bear had eyes in it and was filming me, surveillance cameras. Um, some We had a plant on our... Well, we have a plant on our um, back step and I started thinking that the plant was like a kind of metaphor representing like my cold, stark womb and was unable to... I mean, it was winter. I was like, it's, it's trying to show me that I can't produce. Um, and then I was withdrawing from all my friends and family and then just this, this extreme 
suicidal thoughts but and they would go in such a weird pattern like throughout the day so sometimes in the day the thoughts were more like a kind of um more like I have to do this because it's a conspiracy it's part of a larger plan that I have to do it and then other times when I'd come to it would be like I'm so scared to go back into that thought process because that's torture and it's really frightening I want to do that so I don't have to live that again exactly and then the conspiracy kind of theories and the delusions was such a nastier more scary outcome that I think I kind of wanted some control fate you know it's like if you see someone standing wanting to jump out of a burning building out of a window you would understand why they wanted to jump out if you knew that building was on flames and they had no other way of escaping you would understand um so yeah oh my god I was I was felt like I was racing the clock and it would be only I didn't want Jet to bond with me too much I didn't want him to know me too much because I believed I was not gonna be there and then so when when I was actually hospitalized it was a relief because I'd been trying to tell everybody how sick I actually was but nobody knows so all these things got thrown at me postnatal depression baby blues as you say um um, severe adjustment disorder but when I could finally just give up and go uh this is every this is what I'm feeling now I didn't have to try anymore pretend then I think that actually was the beginning of my recovery the rock bottom as soon as that day happened I could rebuild because I didn't have to pretend yeah and I mean I think it's worth noting because I you know I definitely had uh, like up to where you set you know the tightness in your chest that kind of sense of not necessarily bonding that sense of being a bit of a fraud of not being able to sleep of being afraid when he wakes whatever um, and and obviously that went to a much more extreme like I remember being with my midwife before and saying I I do you know I have had experience with anxiety and I've I've certainly had you know low periods I've never um I've never labeled it as depression but I I I knew that there was a deep sensitivity in me that may have made me susceptible to postnatal but for you you never had any of that no I've had in the past when I was my parents were breaking up I was little but again you don't put those two together do you because they don't teach this in schools stupid um but when I was younger I used to like do a bit of um they call it magical thinking now so like superstitious thinking so I'd be like if I you know step on these three drains then that's gonna be like that or if I finish drinking this glass of water before that that's gonna I'd have days where I'd wake up and I'd be like like when I was 12 and I'd be like I'm gonna die today okay cool I'd like that thought would just Across my head not in a suicidal way in an anxiousy kind of way but that was literally it I've never had um a day of depression I don't believe my mum had um suffered from postnatal depression with my um youngest brother I'm the oldest and there's one in between us so I knew that it I could have that like that was possible my mum had a really traumatic labor so I was just like oh it's from that but what I had, postpartum psychosis, is completely different to postnatal depression. It can be built upon it, but it's completely different. And I think you've used, you described that so beautifully. It is a deep sensitivity and that is actually a superpower. And that is what makes you the person that can leave voicemails on, you know, voice notes to people like that. And that's, that's actually a really amazing thing. And I think it's when we're kind of seen as that's like a negative thing that we weren't. A few people have said that to me, you know, like, oh, you would have thought, yeah, like people have said they've, that they know people that have had similar births to me, but they didn't get what you had because they're very strong. People have said things like that. And I'm like, no, 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 this has nothing to do with strength. Like celebrities 
get depression. Rich people get depression. Um, the most intelligent people in the world get depression. This is not one person is immune from getting this. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you, so the relief of actually being admitted. So, you know, were you sectioned? How did that, how did that come about? Were you, you know, was there, the, um, what do, is it community workers who come around? And hmm. you just said like, you know, I'm, I'm going mad. I, I need um, help. How, how did you actually get into hospital in the end? So I was unraveling really quick at such a rapid pace. I mean, the only way to describe it would be, um, I guess, well, postpartum psychosis is really similar to bipolar disorder. And a lot of the doctors that um, try to understand my illness work on bipolar. And some women do go on to have bipolar. This is usually could be their first episode of that. But um, I'm thankfully don't have bipolar, but um it feels like bipolar disorder sped up. So within a whole day, I would experience sometimes fleeting, sometimes minutes, sometimes longer, just uh, mania, to low, 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 plummeting depression, um, racing thoughts, like conspiracies. And this would just be constant to the point where my brain was physically thumping, like I could feel my head was aching. And I would be able to, my sister and I who are so close, I would be able to physically set, tell her when one thought was like, you know how like in a horror film where a person changes to a werewolf and they're like, it's coming, run! I'd be able to say like, Daisy, like it's coming now, like I'm really sorry, I don't know what is going to happen, that kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, it got, got to this point where I had the worst night of my life which was a Friday night where I just spent uh the whole night with my mom in bed so by this point my house was like Glastonbury Festival people were trying to look after Jet um I couldn't I wasn't trusted to be on my own because I had expressed to my sister's partner that I had suicidal thoughts and um I mean that's one thing I'm so grateful for in my life is that I'm such I can't keep a secret. I just am like, blah, 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 and I'm a goody goody. So I was just telling everybody going, this is as transparent as I need to be. This is how I'm thinking of doing it. This is what is going, because this is what's happening in my head. And I kind of knew it wasn't my fault. I was like, okay. Because I imagine verbalising that, the fear of saying something out loud, you know, once it's said out loud, it's real. And I think that's why a lot of people swallow those kind of thoughts and never speak out loud totally and you know I'm just so that's what I feel and everybody who took care of me or knew me or monitored me or saw me in that time has gone it's your family that got you through this because I not one of them raised an eyebrow they all just knew me so well I'm trying not to cry they all knew me so well they were just like that's not Laura well but the truth is that is me but that's my fears and actually I don't mind that because it wasn't my fault nobody asks to be suicidal like and people say people with mental illness you know they're they're scary it's like no one's more scared than the person that's going through that like yeah you're scared how do you think I feel so I said this to my sister's partner I was like um I feel like I have to kill myself and the reason why is because I'm so afraid of what my intrusive thoughts where my anxiety is leading me to go obviously I couldn't say it in those words I didn't know what I know now my insight um I was like my brain is wanting me to do something dark 
luckily it had nothing to do with jet it was all about myself so lots of women do experience that which it must be even more harrowing um but I was just like I need to put a stop to this I'm so scared of where and then I was doing the usual things which are now after meeting lots of other um people that have suffered with it you know trying to make plans with my money with my staff with my life with who would take care of jet which is just you know those signs that you're beginning um to think um quite dark to be honest I can't even do the bloody monkey bars in the park how am I going to kill myself I don't know what to do and that's the problem it's like you feel like you need to kind of hold a meeting you're like can everyone tell me how they think I should do this because I'm really scared and then also as you say you don't want to tell anyone because you don't want them to stop you once you get to the point it's a really funny paradox because once you get to the point where you're open about it and you get the help you need you're like it straight away half the fear is turned down anyway because you're like oh I don't need to pretend the shame's gone the guilt's gone I can just now get the help I need and actually the more the shame and the guilt you give it a chance to ramp it up it makes it bigger and then you it kind of feeds itself so the best thing advice I could give to anybody is tell somebody because you only have to stand at a bus stop and remind yourself that people in that queue have or will one day think about something like that or will go through something tough and if we just kind of spoke the secret we could actually help each other and save people's lives um and then yeah so I I kind of told said that and then um yeah on the on the Friday night my mum was sleeping with me I'd been given a stronger dose of sleeping aids they kept giving me them from the local GP um this stuff called quetiapine which in a um proper dose treats schizophrenia um but in a light dose it can act as a really effective sleeping aids to take but safe whilst breastfeeding so I was on this quetiapine and um, it wasn't even touching the sides Angela I mean I don't even like taking a paracetamol I get high off loose tea leaves but this stuff in this time I was so manic nothing was having I was like a bionic woman I had read the packet of the side of the drugs and I had seen that it said treat schizophrenia so I had decided at this point that I was schizophrenic and that in my anxiety and that I was going to be hospitalized and I had this whole night where my mum basically physically pinned me down in the bed the whole night with her hands um to stop me from doing something to myself and so the next morning was like that was when everyone knew that I was declining and um then it got to the point on a Saturday evening where I was with my family was sort of taking over in shifts because it was just full-time, full-time with Jet and full-time with me. Both of us were awake the whole night long, basically. He was being a newborn and I was being unwell. So eventually Hugo and his family um, gave me a sort of intervention, really, where it got to the point where I had a FaceTime with one of my really good friends, um, Adele, the singer Adele, which is just so weird in itself that a pop star has to diagnose you that's to the point where it got to I facetimed her and I told her that I had been hypnotized by Hugo's dad which was a delusion and she said that in my face she said she just said there was something else in my eyes I mean you can tell when somebody's psychotic usually through their eyes because they go like black planets and um she just googled it she just got off the phone and was like post postpartum postnatal psychosis thinking this was just going to search nothing but it just came up straight away on NHS website and my symptoms I was a textbook case you know hallucinations delusions suicidal thoughts and it says this is a medical emergency she you know you have to go to A&E immediately and called Hugo and was like look you might just tell me to piss off if you think this is a load of rubbish but this is what I think she's got and he was like that's exactly what she's got she has a doctor that cares for her little 
um, little boy and he knew a, a psychiatrist for, from his practice and just luckily got on the phone to him and within an hour I was going to hospital my god and it must have did you realize at the time did it feel like a relief to even have a label on it to know oh my god this is a thing somebody else has had I'm not at this point I wasn't there I was still believed I was schizophrenic and I I kind of also kept you know as I said my brain was it was so uh racing and frantic I would settle on one theory and then dismantle it um and go I started believing I was a fraud um I was calling myself a master of the dark arts um at some points I believe I had like a kind of almighty power and that I could this comes up quite a lot in depression actually but that you you can you can see the world for what it really is you know and everyone else is stupid and ignorant they have got blindfolds on but you can see it all and um so I was going through all of this and then when I got there for a second I was like it was really weird because I went to this hospital I went to a psychiatric hospital which is I'd never obviously have been to one of those before so even that I started thinking and it was in London so I started being like oh this is a conspiracy even this in itself this isn't a real hospital this is fraud you know you can't trust these people because it didn't look like a hospital I started thinking I was in prison that I'd been imprisoned that I was um that I was part of a larger thing it was Truman Show you know and I'd been outed and it was a TV show or something all this and then I remember the nurse that came to speak to me because I understand this now but um I was admitted in the middle of the night like 1am and um they want to talk to you there and then I suppose to kind of speak to the darkest version of yourself for the quite a lengthy lengthy two-hour interview and I remember just the nurse was so pretty she looked like J-Lo and I said to my sister my god she she looks like J-Lo and my sister was like yeah she's you're gonna be all right yeah I told them everything I they just said are you willing to tell us you know what's going on I just made sure that every ugly horrid thing I was thinking of was just down on that page because I was just like I don't want any I was so scared and anyone that sees me since that time has just said you were just scared the whole time you were just a bag of nerves some people have experienced euphoria I did not have one dot of euphoria and at one point she went are you hearing voices and it was like I wasn't kind of I said I hadn't really experienced anxiety before so I didn't really know what that was either um or depersonalization but I knew that I yeah I guess I I guess the only answer was the same way that you think oh wishing a train would hit me probably counts as a suicidal thought I guess I'm hearing voices yeah and they went are you hearing a man's voice or a woman's voice and that just scared me so much I was kind of hearing my own voice but I was like oh god like this is I'm actually here now I'm at that point in a in a room when someone's going are you hearing a man or a woman's voice I was like okay and then yeah it wasn't about till about a week and a half later that Hugo said to me you know when I when I'd I took to the drugs really well to the antipsychotics all the medication I um you you do think about it at that point because you're so paranoid the paranoia is unbelievable but you do think I should not take the medication I shouldn't do this I shouldn't trust anybody but I just I thought I'm in such a situation anyway I'll just do whatever they tell me and um and then when I settled Hugo was like can I show you now what it is that you've got and then he pulled it up on the NHS website obviously the conspiracy that's not real you've just created that on your phone um but then you I saw it and I was like oh wow but it wasn't till a little while later where after I put that blog out that you read I met action on postpartum psychosis and they gave me this handful of leaflets with like cement you know concrete pavements with flowers bursting out through the cracks or you know a kind of wave hitting rocks and it said you know postpartum psychosis on the front and I was like oh my god this is real 
I feel like you have described our our thank you next, which is a chapter of of your life that is is behind you. Does that feel like? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine any other chapter that has, <laughs> you know, that can really new. I think that's it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there any? thing from that time and I know we talked about sensitivity is there anything that you think in hindsight and this feels like a stretch even saying it that you know you got something out of that or is it the type of thing that you would not wish on your worst enemy oh my god I've got so much from it I'm so I'm not like I wouldn't choose it but I'm so grateful for it because when you're I know you'll you'll know what I mean with this. You know, we we we're the kind of pe- people that you know, people would kind of think, oh, come to this strong women thing, or it's empowering women, or come to this feminist panel. And I always sit there and I think I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just love girls, and I love, I love the fact that I get to live outwardly as a girl and make the most of that. And then when you go through something like this, you're like, oh no, I've earned that title, boy. You're like, I just feel. I feel as well, like, especially for a time like this, that illness, I have so much to be grateful for. It's enriched me. It's informed me. I would have been freaking out probably now with everything that's going on at the moment. And I've learned in my recovery because I took the medication. I got better. Jet was getting older. Everyone going, oh, it's happened now. Put it behind you. But there was so much I had seen. I just could not forget. I couldn't unsee it. You know, I'd been to such dark places. I was left with um, with new anxiety, with um uh, insomnia with um, PTSD from it um, all this new stuff and I was like great this is all stuff I've just got to deal with now um, and so I learned I've learned CBT REBT and ACT um, which have all just changed my life and I believe I'm a much more effective person because of it yeah but actually I think so many women don't like that idea that you have a baby and you're suddenly boom you're a mother you've got this you bond with the baby you're in this lovely little bubble enjoy it enjoy it enjoy it and the guilt and the sense of failure that comes with not being able to do that immediately like you're you're a fraud you haven't you have you're not supposed to even do this and the fear of not being able to go backwards and you, you kind of mentioned at the time this idea that you, the, the fear of having to look after this baby that given the circumstances with, under which he was born was so desperately in need but you know all babies are and that you felt I can't even look after myself and I remember feeling like I was this lost soul and here I had this little baby who depended on me absolutely And here we were, these two little lost souls. And I almost felt guilty. I felt sorry for her at having been born to me because I don't know what the fuck I was supposed to do. And all of the, and being able to read your words where you articulate that level of, you know, fear and and how unnatural it can feel, you know, stages, I think is is a relief to people. You nearly made me cry when you articulated that so beautiful. Oh, thanks, you are you are just two kids, aren't you? Yeah. And and the thing is, the truth is nobody can do that job you need to. People can help, but nobody can. And people go, Oh help, give me jobs. It's like, no, you don't understand. If you want to help, then charge my phone, make me a shepherd's pie and hoover. Like, do not take the baby off me because then I'm gonna feel even more like a failure, even more redundant. And you're absolutely right. It's just 
you can't be there for this thing that just really only needs you um i think as well the um i mean the expectation of yeah the physicality of it but yeah you're right this maternal kind of and that if you if you if you're not there's such a pressure like with like so now which it is completely true but everyone is like hugo is the best dad in the whole world and it's like he he really is but i feel like with men it's like oh he's babysitting is he's like no he's not babysitting he's looking after his child it's like but with women it's like you can't do the bare essentials it's like if you if you are any of those things you're not maternal or you're cold and stark and mean and it comes with this characterization this like spinster like jealous kind kind of of. yeah Yeah. it's so extreme Mm. where it's just if it's men it's just oh boys being boys kind of thing yeah yeah. And it's just, um, that's another thing that I, you know, it's like, even when I had recovered, it's like, I didn't just want to be my, be a mum and I'd lost everything. I couldn't listen to a piece of music. I couldn't pick up a pen to write. I couldn't cook a meal. I couldn't meet a friend. It's like, no, I've need my whole identity to come back. Not just finding myself in this new role, but finding myself that I've spent 30 years trying to build. Yeah. Yeah. And um, is there a thanks that got away I think one person that I think of quite a lot and probably more prominently at the moment with everything that's going on is a member of the NHS staff at um, at St Thomas's where I had Jet, um, which is a, a nurse called Henry, who came in after my like millionth midwife and I was just so cold to her because at this point I was shrieked out of my life with fear. And and I kind of went, oh no, not another midwife sort of thing, which is unlike me anyway. And then she said, oh, something like, oh, nice to meet you too, sort of thing, as a joke. And then she sang all these like church songs to me and stroked my hair. And I remember telling, she was the first person that I told um, the baby, I said, his name's Jet, if anything happens to me, that's his name. And she, for the whole, one whole night, um, physically warmed him like a baby chicken with her bare hands. Um, because his blood sugar was so low and she like bossed Hugo around to get all these extra lays because I was just completely drugged from I couldn't do anything and she physically held him on my chest as well for like three hours to feed um and I just always think about her and I see her as a an angel in a blue uniform amazing amazing Henry we love you yeah we love you Henry Mm, it's mad though isn't it because you're totally uh yeah, you just have to surrender to these absolute strangers that have such a massive impact on your life. And then you go about your business and you never, like I only recently, two years later, got around to properly thanking my midwife because I actually was too traumatized to even, and I had, you know, a conventional birth. In theory, I had like, you know, as you say, a natural labor. I went in, I was eight centimeters dilated. Three hours later, three and a half hours later, I had my baby, but I was completely shell-shocked. I wasn't prepared. And, you know, again, from reading the book where you said, you, you like, you're in your mind, you were going in to get the, like, thingy in and then you were going home. I was, I was going home. We were having brunch the following day. I was in complete denial. I just hadn't really connected with the fact that I was going to leave hospital with a a human and then this person who kind of feels like gifts you with this child and then you don't know whether to feel thankful or resentful it's the ultimate pet you can't give back yeah yeah totally and it's so funny you know I remember the picture you put up it was her feet or something yeah like little chicken feet on Instagram 
And I remember that and I remember, I honestly, I won't lie, I remember thinking, I wish I had it like her. Because mm. that's what you think. Yeah. And we're all just living a lie to each other. Totally. And Instagram is a is a dangerous place for that, I think. And I love mm. it. And actually, at the moment, I feel like it's come into its own. Oh, and it's, it's a real amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like real refuge. But actually, at the time, yeah, it did. It did feel like a lie, you know, popping up a newborn, cuddly little feet and going, oh, my God, I'm fucking failing at this. Oh, mm. God. And, the, and you, you said it earlier as well, but you're also grieving, aren't you, for yourself so badly? It's like you miss yourself so much and you just think, how did this one action? How was I one one day one person and the next day another person? And you just think of people going through trauma all day, you know, every day. It's like trauma is just, it changes you. And that's when old people say life is hard. This is the shit they're talking about. Yeah, yeah when you're like, oh, just think positive, babes. Just yeah. think positive. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Wear a condom and shut up. <laughs> what is your big thank you? Oh, well, it has to be to Hugo. He has just been... You know, ever since the, he, we have been through so much in our whole life together, and even this pandemic, it's I'm just looking at him like, of course we've had this on our script together because it's just you know we when we first met, my parents were having a really messy breakup, and he didn't tell me till quite far down his um, our friendship, but he was his mum was um, really sick, and then he lost his mum, and he then came to my. Mum and stepdad's wedding, and then I went to his mum's funeral, and it's just our whole life has been. And then we went through more hard, difficult things together, and then having this baby, and then this that that postpartum psychosis happening. And every single he would watch me like a moth at a light bulb, just trying to recover and just do everything with me, and never made me feel stupid. You know, even when I said let's buy a PlayStation, he was like, okay. All those normal things, you know, that couples have, those insecurities, that's another blessing. We just don't have that because it's just too big. Obviously, you'd known each other forever, but you hadn't been properly no. together for very long. No. Six months, was it? When yeah. you felt pregnant? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And everyone, you know, and I I think anyone else that was with somebody, and they, I don't know if I'd be as patient and as um, just understanding as what he was. Yeah. He was very good at trusting what the doctor said. So the catastrophizing where I would go, what, but what if he? the doctor said she will get better? And he just went, okay, then I just got to wait. But he was driving a baby, a newborn, a three-week baby, like in the night on his own in the backseat of a car, like by himself, like in the snow. To get him to, to sleep. To come and see me every day. Oh, you know, no. To see me, to visit me. Wow. And it's just like unbelievable strength. Yeah. I mean, you talked about in the book about being a, a goody goody and doing all of the right things and really committing to your recovery. And I guess that it's, it's too personal a question to ask, but like, is there any kind of general things that you think if anyone's sitting at home suffering whether it's something as extreme as as postpartum psychosis whether it's anxiety disorder or or depression or bipolar are there you know things that you kind of feel like today I don't know it's too simplistic a question isn't it yeah no you mean like things you can do to help yourself yeah definitely there are um I think the first thing is I it's so hard but 
talk about it and try and find the words and the 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 when I noticed my recovery started speeding up when it happened quicker than I thought was as soon as I went goodbye guilt goodbye shame because you're not serving me and you're certainly not serving Jet so I got those out of the way and then the bits where I did have any control at all so making sure I ate as well as I could or walked or slept as much as I could and all those kind of things I would just do that as much as possible because I knew then that that was helping myself as much as I possibly could and the last thing that I would say which I've only learned really recently but has been golden advice is that you sort of uh, realise when you are recovering, you have to do lots and lots and lots of things to to find out for yourself that the key is to do nothing at all. So you have to try all those things and then go, oh, actually, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to see anybody. I don't need to be a certain way. I don't need to be happy today. I don't have to do anything. As soon as you take that and you give yourself permission it's actually amazing how everything does just kind of settle down. So zero expectation of yourself or anybody else. Totally that, yeah. totally Which that. sounds so simple, doesn't it? That's why you kind of have to do it all yeah. before you realise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to do all the therapies, try that. I mean, I tried everything. I tried smoking for a bit. I did not <laughs> How smoke. did that work out? I tried a vape. <laughs> terribly, absolutely terribly. Tried a vape for a bit. I tried everything. And then I realised, oh, it's got to do yeah. nothing. And then that. Yeah, that's yeah. A, quite a, a remarkable um, circle to come back to that place within two years from the depths to feeling actually. Oh, it's an expensive yeah, circle, yeah, yeah, I hear Angela. you, I hear you. <laughs> I was like, I said to my, the, the, I've just finished my, um, uh, my last kind of, I was discharged from my therapy and um I kind of, everything I did, whether it was um, medicational therapy, I did to the absolute point of where I didn't have to do it anymore because I just wanted to feel as safe as possible. And um, I kind of looked at her and that's what I said. I was like, oh, I've realised now I didn't have to do anything. And she kind of laughed at me like, that's kind of the point. Yeah, and I was like, wow, okay, really wish I knew that right from the start. But, but that's but how you find two out. Year, but two years is a short space of time to come to that realisation. That's yeah. amazing yeah it's really helped me especially mm. with um things like um insomnia or yeah. uh just things that are out of my control i used to be so angry at this illness i was like you've robbed me so much and now i don't see it like that now i'm like no you've given me so much it's actually i hold my illness really close to me what is the gift that you are most grateful for it probably was um, the recommendation of a book, actually, okay. which um, I went and got for myself, which I talk about in the book. But I do believe this book is one of the reasons that I, I am better, which is a book called Self-Help for Your Nerves okay. by Dr. Claire Weeks. It's quite old fashioned and stiff, but it's a tiny little skinny book like you'll eat it up. And it is the, was the first book I read where I felt like somebody had... It was written by a woman and sat down and kind of held my hand and went, I can see and feel that you are hurting and was just like, everything you're feeling is normal and it's science. It's not monsters and ghouls and phantoms trying to eat you up, you know. This is science, nerves. And that book just gave me so much um, reassurance and it's got a beautiful bit in it about this technique called floating, which is when you think you get ill any kind of illness people say oh you have to fight you know you fight your way out of this thing or so and so lost their battle to cancer or has been battling with depression or you you're told to fight and actually fighting is the wrong way to 
in my opinion, to uh, deal and overcome a negative emotion or a, a health issue because it, it actually creates tension and it um, builds Resistance. your adrenaline up. Yeah, and it makes you feel in your belly like angry and rage and your adrenaline is shooting off everywhere. So how are you going to find peace um, with that? So it teaches you not to, to fight basically and instead float. So... You know, there are people that depression, anxiety gets so bad they can't eat or they can't wash or they can't do anything. And it says, you know, you don't have to just just float, float your food to your mouth, float yourself to the bath, float yourself to bed, float yourself to the kitchen, float yourself outdoors. And by that technique, it's just not forcing anything. And um, I've been floating ever since, you know, and absolutely loving it. Big thank you, big, big, big thank you to Laura. Her memoir, What Have I Done, is out now and it is absolutely brilliant if this has sparked some ideas about what you're thankful for this week please do drop them to me with the hashtag thanks a million trio we are also dropping new episodes every single week and you can get them here first and free i'm going to labor on that a little bit they're free and seriously the last time i got anything for free was a courgette that was slightly hairy and left on the gable of a neighbor's house You can subscribe, and I would very much enjoy it if you did, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your smart speaker of choice. Alexa, Alexa, you're looking very pretty today, lovey. Would you mind subscribing to Angela Scanlon's podcast? Oh, Alexa, you're my best friend. If you're loving the show... (laughs) Please stay with me. If you're loving the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Initially, I found this all a bit desperate. Now, I'm into it. It's absolutely fine. Write the goddamn review. It helps. On many levels, it helps more wonderful people like you to find this podcast. And actually, while I'm at it, everyone's stuck on WhatsApp all day, every day. Why don't you just whap the old link over to your WhatsApp groups and share it with your friends the old-fashioned way, you know? But yeah, the rating and reviewing, five stars, obviously. We're at five stars, so keep it that way, okay? Merci. If you've nothing nice to say, don't say it at all, as your mother would say. Okay? Yeah, yeah, you, I know exactly what you're thinking. Don't bother. Don't bother. Nothing good will come out of it. Thanks again to Laura. Oh, my goodness. I'm looking out the window and I see a woman with what can only be described as a toy boy and I think well fair fucking play to her living her life she's got a little woolen hoodie on her as well and he is in full Canadian tuxedo now wow anyway thanks again to Laura to my producers Matt Hill and Sarah Miles at Rethink Audio and to you for listening I hope you, wherever you are, have a toy boy yourself in a Canadian tuxedo, which is double denim, if you don't know. Thanks a million. Our sponsors on Post have a great new service where you can calculate, pay and print your own postage in the comfort of your own home. Just another thing to do from the comfort of your own home. It's called Click and Post and you can find out more about it at onpost.com forward slash click and post. There's another little thing to be thankful for.